All right, Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're going to look at that last tree there, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we're going to compare it to another tree. The Bible says in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in chapter number 5, verse number 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Also again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, by way of introduction, the book of Genesis is a marvelous book. It's the book of beginnings. There's the origin of heaven, earth, man, woman, marriage, sin, the first sacrifice, first prophecy, human government, you name it. God creates the earth. He populates it, destroys it, only to repopulate it all over again. This is a, a, a book that covers a period of over 2,000 years. You have the four great events, the creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. You have the four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This book contains so much, but it's, almost, it's also full of types. A, a type is a divinely appointed illustration of, of, of some scriptural truth. All throughout the book of Genesis, there are types. There are spiritual illustrations. There are symbols. There are pictures of Jesus Christ in scriptural truth. Now, that word type, it, Dr. J. Edwin Hartle says that a type must never be used to teach a doctrine, but only to illustrate a doctrine elsewhere explicitly taught. So again, a type is a divinely appointed illustration. So what are some types in the book of, of Genesis? Well, for one, you have the ark. Noah's ark was a type of Christ because it offered salvation from judgment and destruction. Again, it must never be used to teach a doctrine, but only to illustrate a doctrine elsewhere explicitly taught. That was very well said. Isaac, he was promised before he was born. He was offered up as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. We all know it was a test for Abraham. He was also, um, his, his father would send out an unnamed servant uh, to find him a, a bride after his work was completed. Isaac was nothing more than a type of Jesus Christ. Joseph, despised by his brothers, he was sold into slavery for 30 pieces of silver. He was banished into a far country. He was forgotten. He would be eventually exalted to the second highest position in Egypt where he obtained a Gentile bride and would redeem the same brothers that originally sold him into slavery. A type of Jesus Christ. 
There are some other types in the book of Genesis. You have Leah, for example. Leah was a type of the church. Rachel was a type of Israel, her sister. Dr. M. R. Dehan writes that Leah represents the church of the Lord Jesus, Rachel the nation of Israel. He desired her first, but when he came to present himself to her 1900 years ago, he did not receive her, but she rejected him. And now Rachel is barren and despised, and Leah, the church, is bearing fruit in the millions of the redeemed who are being brought in during the present dispensation. Someone else was Jacob. He was a type of Israel. What is something about the life of Jacob that, that we can uh, think about that sums up his life? And, and if, you, if you really think hard of it, it's, it's that of a struggle. The, from birth, he had his hand on Esau's heel. And throughout his life, he struggled with others. You think of his struggles with his brother, his struggles even with his father to get the blessing, his struggles with his 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 uncle Laban, his his struggle even with the Lord when he wrestled him and he would then get a new name. His whole life was a struggle. Look at the nation Israel. Their whole life has been a struggle with others and also a struggle with God. And now we, we come to another type here in the book of Genesis. We come to another scriptural illustration. You have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you have the cross of Calvary. And Genesis 2 verse 9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now this is just after the six days of creation, after the seventh day of rest, God's creation is perfect. He's now creating a home for man. He creates every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. And in the midst of this garden, there are two trees. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. These trees cease to exist. We know very little of them. But let's look at this, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. One thing we do know, Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat of it. And another thing we know is that did not turn out very well for the human race. Million dollar question. Why did God put that tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden? Well, uh, an answer I can give you to that is Adam was not a puppet. Adam had a choice to stay in communion with God. And he chose to reject it and disobey God. And brought sin unto all of humanity. We do not know the fruit of that tree. Uh, but we do know that it was pleasant to the eyes. And going to the New Testament. You have another tree that we read about. You have the cross. In Acts chapter 5. And in First Peter chapter number 2. Each time in those verses. The cross is mentioned as a tree. Like we said earlier, book of Genesis, full of types, full of pictures, full of scriptural illustrations placed by the Holy Spirit. Arthur W. Pink from Gleanings in Genesis says, the first book 
and the Word of God is full of typical pictures, prophetic foreshadowings, and dispensational adumbrations, as well as important practical lessons. Let's look at these two trees. By way of introductions, let's look at the contrast of these two trees. First of all, we see the planting of the trees. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 9, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we see the Father planted that tree. In verse number 8 and 9, the Bible talks about the Garden of Eden, and it talks about those trees that the Lord planted. And if you if you think about it, man's first home was a garden, and the Bible tells us his final home is going to be a city. You see, uh, when when Adam, when he first opens his eyes, uh, Dr. John Phillips says, when he first opened his eyes to the light of day, he looked out upon a scene of matchless beauty and tranquility. The fields were emerald green, the hedgerows ablaze with blossoms, the atmosphere laden with the fragrance of flowers, the forest ringing with joyous song. Just like his final home, Man's first home was absolutely perfect. Think about that. Uh, the, the first home that was made by God for, uh, for unfallen man, it was absolutely perfect. I imagine it was breathtaking. In chapter number 2, we read there the first three verses that is referring to the, the Sabbath day and the Lord resting. It's the first mention of the Sabbath uh, there about it talks about how God rested. Now, something that we, we need to understand and, and we, we go back and, and we read that very carefully, we find that God does not give the Sabbath day to mankind in that verse. God is not instituting the Sabbath day to Adam. God does not give the Sabbath day until the days of Moses and the law. In Genesis chapter number 2, in the first three verses, God is resting not because he's weary, not because he's tired, not because all that work he had done, he was, he, he, he now needed some sleep. God is resting because his work was perfect. His work was complete. It was finished. And when he had planted these trees when he had, the Bible says there, uh, the, the, these trees, they were pleasant. That, that from, that's from the Hebrew word that, that literally means to desire, to covet, to take pleasure in. Think of the beauty. Think of the, uh, the desire that, that these trees had. Think of the fruit. Think of the food and, and how wonderful all of this was. This was planted by the Father. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was planted by the Father. The cross of Calvary was planted by the fallen. Bible says over in Matthew 27, verse 32 and 35, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skull, 
They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Now look down at Matthew 27, verse 40 through 42. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And then you go, um, you can read on there, but uh, that word cross, uh, that cross was two wooden beams. It was used for capital punishment to execute criminals. They, uh, the, the, the Persians originated this, but the Romans perfected it. And they would pierce the hands and feet, and um, the cross would be put in an upright position, and the victim is left to literally hang there until they're dead. That's death by asphyxiation. And uh, that's when a person is deprived of oxygen that can result in unconsciousness, death, suffocation. It's an awful way to die. It's a horrible way to die. And it, it's very interesting to note that the, the first crucifixion um, dates back in 519 B.C. when 3,000 political enemies of King Darius were, were crucified. That's the first record of crucifixion. However, Psalm chapter number 22 was written hundreds of years before any of this by David as a messianic psalm prophesying the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And this cross was planted in the ground. It was put in an upright position with our Savior hanging on it, but it was planted there by fallen man. We see the contrast of, of these two trees here. You see, number one, the planting of the trees. The Father planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we see the fallen, fallen man planted the cross that hung our Savior. Not only do we see the planting of the trees, but we also see the picture of the trees. In Genesis chapter number 2, in verse number 9, and again in chapter number 3, when it talks about when Eve was tricked by the, the serpent. And the Bible says when she looked at the tree and desired it, it was pleasant to the eyes. The picture of the trees, this tree of knowledge of good and evil, it was fair to look at. Again, this was for unfallen man. Uh, the ground had not yet been cursed. Uh, these trees were not only everything beautiful, but imagine the food. Uh, not not just referring to the, the this tree, but the surrounding trees that God had planted for Adam. Uh, imagine that. And, and think about this. I want you to remember this. Everything Adam needed, everything unfallen man needed was in that garden. God told him to stay away from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. He told him to stay away from that. But all of the surrounding trees, all, all that God had given Adam, he, he was surrounding him and he had everything he, he needed there. Um, later in the chapter, you know, Adam has his companions and, and God doesn't want Adam to be alone, so he gives him Eve. 
And think of all that Adam and Eve had. They had everything they needed right there in the Garden of Eden. And they were, they were told specifically not to eat of that one tree. And they went and Adam disobeyed God, willfully ate of the fruit of that tree and brought a curse to all mankind. But the picture of that tree, before the fall, it was fair to look at. But then you look at Calvary. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 verse 2, it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no former comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Um, and if you actually go back in the chapter, Isaiah 52 14, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. When, when Pilate brought him back out to the people, uh, him being Lord Jesus Christ, and he was being beaten and scourged, he, he was not even, it's like hamburger meat. They had beat him to a literal pulp. When they put him up on the cross, there was nothing good to look at. When you look at that tree that was planted in the Garden of Eden, it was fair to look at. But when you look at that tree that was planted by the fallen uh, on Golgotha Hill, that tree which is the cross of Calvary, it was frightening to look at. It was an awful picture. There are so many pictures of the Lord Jesus that a lot of people have, have drawn and painted and, and tried to depict throughout throughout time i mean throughout uh since since christ for thousands of years people have been painting him and trying to portray him and a lot of times you you see of him so dainty you, you see this just dainty figure up on a cross friends that's not what it was like at all he was he was beaten to a pulp his, his body was just he was unrecognizable and and they beat him so bad if you drew a picture of Christ, what he really looked like on the tree, uh, on that cross, you wouldn't want to look at it. Not only is it heartbreaking for what he had to go through to become sin for us and die that awful death, but just what the way he looked um, would not be anything that, that you would want to look at. And, and so we see the the... The, the fallen planted uh, that, that tree there, it was a frightening, frightening picture. The first one was fair to look at. This next one is just frightening to look at. Another uh, illustration of, of Calvary in the dark place, there is the story of the, the Syrian captain by the name of Naaman. And uh, this is during the days of the divided kingdom. So you have the Exodus, of course, that we're all familiar with. You have the Exodus. Uh, then you have uh, the Judges stage. Then you have the United Kingdom there uh, under Saul and then David and Solomon and some kings. And um, uh, you have the after that, you have the divided uh, kingdom, which is the northern and the southern kingdom in those days and, and the days of uh, Elijah and Elisha. And when Elisha was prophet, uh, being a prophet there, um, he was approached about uh, the Syrian captain by the name of Naaman. And what had happened was Naaman had leprosy, 
And his wife had a little Israelite girl. She was not a missionary. She was actually a captive. Uh, she was taken from the Israelites. And she was now a captive for Naaman's wife. And she overheard Naaman, I guess, and his wife talking about his leprosy. So when she heard that, uh, she referred them to Elisha, the man of God. And so Naaman goes and, and, and he, he talks to his king about this. And um, the king goes to the king of Syria, reaches out to the king of Israel, which really upsets the king of Israel because he can't heal anybody. He doesn't have the touch of God on him like Elisha does. So when Elisha sees him all upset, he says, you know, he asks the king what's wrong. And the king tells him, he says, well, uh, the king of Syria reached out to me and he wants me, uh, he, he wants his, his captain, Naaman, to be healed of this leprosy. So Elisha says, you send him my way. So, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but long story short, Naaman and his men, a great host, they go out there to see Elisha. And Naaman is wanting some great miracle to happen. So he, he's got leprosy. He's tried to keep, keep it hush-hush. He's ashamed of it. But then uh, now he's heard of a man who can heal him. So he wants to put on a show. He wants to go to the man of God. And he, uh, the man who's sick, the man who has a sickness, he wants to look good. He wants this man of God to do some great work to make him look good in front of his men and heal him. But instead, Naaman shows up. Elisha looks at him and he says, Go dip in the, 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 the river, the Jordan River, seven times. In fact, I don't even know if he saw Naaman or not. But um, when, when he came, Elisha said, Go dip in the Jordan River seven times. The thing about the Jordan River, the Jordan River is, is very muddy. It's very dark. It's very nasty. And Naaman did not want to go there. He would rather go to the rivers of Damascus or somewhere that was beautiful and elegant, something that would make him look good. But instead, he was commanded to go to the Jordan River, a nasty, dark place. You see, that is a illustration of Calvary. You see, if a person wants to get saved, the, a lot of people are just like Naaman. Just like Naaman, they're sick. They have something. Uh, Naaman had leprosy. This world has a sin problem. And they are lost. And if they die in their sins without Jesus Christ, they're going to go to hell. And they have a sin problem and they need to be healed. And there are some of them who know they have a problem. And they want to be healed. But they want to come on their terms. They want to be healed on their conditions. They want to look good. Just like Naaman, uh, they don't want to swallow their pride. You see, Elisha told him, you got to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. What is that Jordan River a type of? It is a type of Calvary. You have to go to Calvary to be healed of your sin problem. You have to go to that dark, nasty place. You have to go, and you have to go to that picture that's frightening to look at. The God manifested in flesh, the perfect Jesus Christ being hung on a cross and becoming sin for all of humanity. That is a frightening, dark picture. 
but it's a place we have to go to. We have to go and we have to see Jesus Christ dying for all of our sins. We have to realize that we are helplessly and hopelessly lost. And there is absolutely nothing that we can do to go to God except through Jesus Christ. And we see the picture of the trees. But then we see the presenting of the trees. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, it was forbidden to eat. God specifically told them, do not eat of this tree. Again, I'm paraphrasing, but they were given specific directions not to eat of that tree. Oh, but Calvary, we are free to it to eat. Psalms 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. John chapter 6 verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Second Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see the two trees. Just very quickly here, want to look at a couple things here. Number one, we see the location of the two trees. The location of the two trees. You have the Garden of Devastation. The Garden of Devastation. Boy, I, I tell you, um, when Adam, when he disobeyed God and brought sin unto all mankind, that's devastating. Why is there, why, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do, why, why, why is there, um, all of this hurt in the world? That's because sin has been brought unto all humanity. Adam disobeyed God. You see the garden of dev devastation, but you also see the garden of deliverance. In John 19.41 it says, Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden. Remember what we said earlier about how, um, you know, in that first garden, Adam and Eve had everything they needed. They had everything they needed to survive, yet they disobeyed God. Well, let me tell you, that garden where the crucifixion was, fallen man has everything that we needed to come and get right with God. And that's through the God-man, Jesus Christ. We see the location. Also, we see the learning of the trees. Eden and Calvary both have something in common. They were dark places. Eden is where the perfect man that God created willfully disobeyed him. Calvary is where the Son of God manifested in the flesh, became sin, and died for us. You have the knowledge of sin and you have the knowledge of grace. Did you know that what other than the, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil? Yes, that is the tree in Genesis chapter 3. That's also the tree uh, mentioned mentioned over there in Acts chapter 5 in First Peter. What other tree of knowledge of good and evil is there other than the cross? Friends, in order to be saved, we have to repent. That is a mindset. That is a change of mind. We are realizing that we are helplessly lost. We are looking at the cross of Jesus Christ and realizing this is our only hope. 
This is our only way, for this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And last of all, we see the lasting effects of the trees. Two of the greatest events in human history, the fall of man and the final sacrifice of sin by the Son of God, both have had lasting effects that cannot be undone. You cannot undo Adam and Eve eating of that fruit of the garden, and you cannot undo the final sacrifice of sin by the God-man, Jesus Christ, on Golgotha's hill. You have the decision of disobedience in Genesis chapter number 3, verse 6 and 7, but then you, you can have the decision of obedience. Jesus said, John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And friends, that is our decision. We can either choose to obey and go God's way and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, or we can reject him and spend eternity in a devil's hell. May the Lord bless you. We'll see you next time.